0: Welcome to Health Virtually Uncensored with Dr. Joe Kavidar, a podcast series brought to you by the American Telemedicine Association, the only organization completely focused on advancing telehealth. Join Dr. Kavidar in candid conversations with the leaders, disruptors, and innovators, offering real-world perspectives and practical knowledge to impact change in our current healthcare environment. Today's guest is Dr. Ron Wyatt, an internationally recognized advocate and expert in health equity. This episode is made possible by Doximity.
1: Hello, I'm Joe Kavidar, and I'm the host of the ATA's podcast series, Health Virtually Uncensored. This podcast series welcomes guests experts, luminaries, and friends to talk about topics relating to the practical, real-world, and much-needed digital transformation of health. Today, I'm excited to discuss a topic that is so critical for healthcare and one that so many complex points and sobering realities, and it's the topic of health disparities and how telehealth can impact the progress towards equity. I don't think we need to talk too much about the data that underlies this whole challenge, but I know we saw it in stark clarity during the pandemic. So everyone is now, if you weren't up to speed before, you are now. But health disparities have always existed, uh, underscored by inequity in social, economic, and racial status. In my last podcast with Charlotte Yeh of AARP, She also touched on the prevalence and repercussions of ageism in healthcare. So there's all kinds of disparities. And if you didn't listen to that one already, I'd love it if you go back and take a listen after you finish this one. So I was encouraged knowing that this problem uh, came to light during the pandemic. And and, uh, there were were really two sides, I think, to the argument. Some people said telehealth (laughs) augmented disparities. Some people felt it was a way to uh, lessen disparities. So we're gonna talk about that with my guest today, um, who was the co-chair, and and the reason I have Dr. Ron Wyatt on is because he's the co-chair of the ATA's work group to uh, create uh, a framework and plans around eliminating disparities through telehealth. So let me just introduce Dr. Wyatt and, and we'll get into a discussion. I know this is going to be a really exciting one. Dr. Ron Wyatt is founder and CEO of Achieving Health Equity and the former vice president and patient safety officer for MCIC Vermont. And we didn't get a chance to talk about this uh Uh, Off-air, Ron, but I'm a Vermonter I grew up in and went to school in Vermont, so we we have a bond around Vermont, it seems. (laughs) Anyway, he was also the first patient safety officer at the Joint Commission. He's also former co-chair for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, IHI's Equity Advisory Group, and is faculty for the IHI Pursuing Equity Initiative. Ron serves on multiple boards and is a sought-after national and international speaker and author. Ron, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for joining as a guest today to talk about this very important topic.
2: Oh, thank you so much. It's really a delight to be here. Thank you.
1: So before we get into some specifics, I think we ought to frame out for the for the uh, guest uh, listeners who maybe haven't taken a look at the wonderful document that you and your uh work group created, uh, but maybe could you just go over for us a little bit about the framework uh, that we have up on the ATO website, why it was needed, how you all went about creating it, and and some of the sort of high points.
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for that. I, and and I don't recall kind of the history of when the first conversation took place, um, but we, we began to talk about if we began to build a robust, sustainable framework for the delivery of reliable uh, telemedicine, where would that start? And as those conversations began, like many conversations around inequity and disparity, it really started with the issue around access. A- and my position then and now was that probably that's the, if you think about, we initially, we talked about an iceberg model. So you begin to think about access as that part of the iceberg that's visible. We walk through a a series of thoughts. What's the known known? So the known known around telehealth is going to be disparities do exist that in order to sustain telehealth that will get to more positive outcomes and close a disparity gap. Certainly access or what we just end up describing as connectivity has to be thought about. And again, not to not to understate any area of this, but I really said that's probably going to be one of the easier things to get to. We really need to think about if you again think about the iceberg model and what I would call the unknown unknowns. And those are the things that Or as I described, down in the deep, dark, cold water around an iceberg where many people either don't want to go or afraid to go uh, or just worried about what what they would encounter. So part of that then I said, let's let's start to build off of the unknown unknowns, work to solve them as it relates to telehealth, and then move up towards uh, access and connectivity, So we said, okay, uh, barring from the work of the the legendary Kamara Jones, we have to address the history of disparities in telehealth, the history of disparity and inequity and how it operates in a system. We cannot be ahistorical. Next, what is the role of the different cultures that we need to address inside of telehealth? Uh, in order to build a robust system? And you mentioned one of those already. Is it is it racism? Is it ageism? Is it issues around identity, uh, as sexual orientation, gender identity? Next, and, and with a lot of data to support, then what is going to um, move populations towards trust uh, as a part of a successful telehealth framework? Because again, the data says that there is a tremendous amount of mistrust, distrust, no trust inside of the current healthcare system. So why would it be any different with approaches to telehealth? And then um, the the next area that is unavoidable and a requirement inside of these kinds of big system changes. And the simple question is, how would racism operate inside of a telehealth system? And and there we said, we're going to focus on uh, structural uh, anti-racism as a part of a telehealth framework. So that became the base of a pyramid, those, those things that are likely the most challenging ones. And then moving up, what what will we go from there? Uh, then how do we build a telehealth system that is going to be inclusive again in a sustainable way? How do we address uh, what many have known as cultural competence to uh, to more of a structural competence? Meaning if I'm accessing telehealth services, then on the other end of that access, whether it's, it's audio or video or both, then I'm going to bring myself to that experience. That means I will bring my social, economic, and political self into that telehealth, telehealth environment, and, and, and the system on the other side of that will need to have an appreciation. If I If I draw a straight line back now to trust, in order for that to happen, then that trust has to be that there is is empathy built into the system, that there is logic in the judgments that come out of the system, and that there is authenticity and and genuineness uh, as a part of this system to build that trust, to be able to listen with what we call structural humility to better understand what matters most to people that we talk to. Then get into the areas we know a lot about but need to improve and for the purpose of telehealth are issues around literacy, that digital literacy as well as health literacy. And then you go to affordability and how this will be paid for inside of our current payment structures and systems. And then you get to what we we went from talking about access to connectivity. So that really is how that pyramid framework came to be.
1: Just wow, there's so much uh, depth in in that, uh, uh, and we're just so really lucky to have you uh, in the role that you're in helping us uh, with this at the ATA. Uh, One of the things that struck me as as I was listening to you, I just gave a talk at the annual meeting on, uh, and my title of my talk was Telehealth as a Trust Problem. And yeah. where I think it intersects with, with what you just said is that as we as we're on the internet for anything, uh there, there's a sort of an informality or or a, a lack. I think some people will view it as a place where they can hide and 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 um not not be uh discovered and things like that. And and so if you're on the other end and you're you're approaching it with some um skepticism to begin with, one of my messages to, to our audience was as as clinicians we have to double down on professionalism and and double down on authenticity uh because the medium itself lends itself to to not doing that Mm -hmm. and I, i just thought it intersected with some of your comments so incredibly uh exciting to to hear your perspective and and learn from it so let's talk a little bit about the base of the pyramid you you laid it out so beautifully but one of the things that we all struggle with i think and uh uh, I, I, this, I'm certainly on my own journey in in this direction. Is when you get to the point where people are are, are sort of uh, a little bit uncomfortable when you start to to sort of talk about uh, the hard truths of our own uh, biases internally or systematic biases, uh, systemic uh, racism, things like that. How do you think the framework as ATA brings it out to the world, can help health systems and clinicians create a path forward when there might be that fear of uncovering these biases?
2: A uh, really good question. And, and probably one of the more common questions are similar to common questions that, that we get. And, and there's a, a few quick answers is how do you become more comfortable with the uncomfortable right? Um, without, um, you know, kind of without being forced into it? A big part of that has to be, has to be to understand the history of how we got here and the harm that's been caused in in healthcare systems uh, because of that history. And part of that history lies inside of how clinical decisions are being made all the way back to the 1600s. So having some degree of an appreciation for for how that history came to be, especially when, when we enter telehealth and we're trying to make decisions uh, for people to get to better outcomes, for people who have been marginalized historically. We, be, we be, have to begin to have that conversation. That doesn't mean making someone a, a deep historian uh, in inequity and disparities in this country and other countries. But part of that then becomes that how has racism been, to your point, systematized, Uh, and institutionalize within a system, and how does it operate? So when we teach this, and and, and I'm in multiple equity disparity collaboratives now, each one of them, we ask the teams to go back and and look at the history of your system, look at how systems of racism and, and other isms are currently operating, and then what are those things that we can begin to do as a collective to provide that knowledge that's gonna move us forward. So if we, if, if I go just to my performance improvement training and, and use W. Edward Deming's rule number eight, I think it is, replace fear with knowledge. So part of the effort in this telehealth framework is beginning to provide that knowledge, historical knowledge, cultural knowledge, uh, in order uh, to identify those structures within a system and within an institution that may be race based that that may be gender based that may be size based that may be ableism based that may be based in people that don't have a what we think of as a home so if a person is living in a tent city in a, in a major urban area then how are we going to address what's what systemically and, and institution operating in that setting if we want to deliver reliable responsive empathetic logical telehealth services to those different populations. That means that we have to approach it with humility and ask populations to help us, tell us what matters to you, let us build a new system that's gonna respond. And and, and I break that down to say our ability to respond, which becomes our responsibility uh, to address what really matters to those populations inside of, of healthcare systems, whether they be bricks and mortar, or whether it be virtual or telehealth-based. Those are just the basics. What's going to make me trust you if I don't see that you empathize with me and if you're not concerned about what matters to me and you're more concerned about what matters to you? Uh, What's going to make me trust you uh, to build a new system when, when I see that you're making one decision for one population and a different decision for a different population that's now built into an algorithm that's inside of telehealth That says, here's what you should do, but I decide to do something different, even though the evidence tells me that I should do uh, what is based on the evidence. And and then delivering that in a way that people believe it and trust it. And and, and they know that no difference is being made based on how I look or dress or who I I love or or what my religion is uh, or what my ability is, either cognitive or physical. Those are just, to me, just the basics that we have to start to have those conversations and to strategically uh, Began to implement and test our ideas in, in a productive way, and, and I say to people, having a neutral perspective becomes really important. I, I never go to the negative or pessimistic on this. We can do this, so we have, to, and then it, to, to not to get overly positive at the same time. So the positivity comes when I can present a system with the evidence and the data. That says, here's the direction we need to go in to improve outcomes for not just a certain population, but for every population. That's why we put all of those things right at the base of that pyramid. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. Uh, that That's that's fabulous. Uh, I want to
1: zero in a little bit more on telehealth if we can. And, and some of this you I think I've already addressed, but but I think we can we can deepen it a little bit. When we think about virtual care, it it can be a huge help in, in reaching vulnerable populations. We we've discussed that, that, that relates to the I think you're right, the simple things, the connectivity, the device affordability, that sort of thing. Relatively simple, I guess. We also have to, I think, dig more into things that you mentioned and I said it as well, which is we're dealing with a medium which is not as rich of sensory inputs as being in the same room as an individual. We know that. Telehealth is ideal for certain kinds of healthcare transactions that don't require that rich sensory environment of being in the same room with someone. But how do we, I guess, train our clinicians? This is something that I'm interested in, particularly because I work with a double AMC on uh, competencies for for uh, for trainees, but how do we train clinicians to create an environment of trust? Are there tips that we can share with our audience now that you can sort of, um, as I say, double down on professionalism, double down on caring that, uh, through through the medium itself?
2: Yeah, yeah. So so the, the, there are spots around the the, the country that have already begun to implement training programs around telehealth, telecare, telemedicine, uh, a, a with the proper resources, and I say that cautiously, um, simulations it, it is a powerful intervention. And there are programs around the country, not just for trainees, but for established clinicians that you use simulation and you test those simulations and people are trained and taught as a competency because let's just face it, uh, and I think we all know this and, and appreciate it, and celebrate that telecare, telehealth, telemedicine is not going to go away. Uh, it will continue to advance and accelerate. So, how do we manage that so that people trust us? Just like uh, uh, internists, I'm an internist. Training and retraining and more training, simulations, constant feedback, communication, observing uh, things in telehealth. Let's just go with if it's if it's video based. What is my body language? What is my facial expressions? What is my, my vocal tone? What are the words that I use so that so that linguistically I'm not going to alienate a person? So that, that's gotta be somehow put into training programs, simulated, give constant feedback, and continue to improve. That's a part of, I think, any confidence-based training, whether it be audio or, or, or video, we we know a lot about how to do this, how to translate that into this space. Uh, I think is urgent uh, because if you begin to do it, if you tr- again, I go back to trust. Trust is you can build it, but boy, um, you can say one word or one facial expression or a change in body language, and it goes away. If I'm sitting on a telehealth with the physician, and and I'm seeing that that physician is spending more time at the keyboard and checking stuff off on the iPad then looking at me, then I'm gonna leave that encounter feeling like this person doesn't care about me, right? That's what I mean by the empathy. Who do you really care about? You have to be able to show that. And, and if it's only audio, what is what is it about audio that's gonna make a person believe me and trust me in that encounter? Uh, do Am I rushing that person? Am I saying insensitive things in insensitive ways? And, and then what happens as a result of that? We we The same thing can happen in telehealth that's happened in, in face-to-face care. I just won't come back. And then we have this tendency to say, well, that person is non-compliant or non-adherent, when the fact of the matter is we never established uh, a sustainable relationship, trust and relationship in these encounters. That's not going to just come naturally, right? And, and some people, it's going to be more challenging, So you have to like everything we do in health and healthcare and other trades. Train on it, simulate on it, debrief on it, communicate about the importance of it in order to sustain it. Yeah! Wow! Uh,
1: Once again, fabulous, fabulous insights. Uh, I'm we're we're winding uh, towards the end now of of our time together. I have one more question that I want to probe you on. It's sort of a maybe it's a hot topic du jour. I I think. Um, it, it has been and will continue to be. I also have an interest in this area, and I and I don't see a uh, a, a uniform, obvious solution, which is about artificial intelligence and how it can lead to bias uh, in algorithms. Uh, because, of course, when we use either uh, uh, lousy data sets as a start, or or we bring our own biases in. What's your opinion on that? Do you have any kind of tips for our audience members on how to make sure that when they're starting these projects, they don't go in the wrong direction to begin with?
2: So I have strong opinions. And first is this AI is not going to go away. Right. Uh, It will continue to advance. And to your point, bias in, bias out. Mm -hmm. Uh, And how we design the algorithms for clinical decision making, once again, must include people, communities, and populations. They cannot be left out of the algorithms, Uh, and and then those algorithms will need continuous testing. The other one that concerns me most uh, about AI and clinical decision-making is once a clinician gets all of that data in, a decision has to be made, and this is probably going to be an oversimplification, but here's the truth, at least for now. AI cannot make a moral decision. I agree. That's left to a human being. Yeah. That human technical interface becomes even more critical in AI so that there doesn't become an overdependence mm-hmm. on the algorithms that are being presented. The, the The stark example, and I know we're short on time, that I give is uh, in, in the military, what is called an over-the-horizon attack. And the biggest example was the, the mistake that was made in Afghanistan when a family was destroyed by a missile because the AI thought that it was a terrorist. Yeah. And and someone over relied on the data that AI was presenting to to embark upon what's called an over-the-horizon assault. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and, in healthcare, I'll say, uh, over-the-horizon clinical decision that hurt or kill people. So, So how to bring into that AI infrastructure training again, simulation again, how to make the correct evidence-based, logic-based judgments so that we limit and mitigate the risk of hurting people um, and and make the right ethical, moral decision that is not race-based or not race-corrected has to be thought about uh, on a continuous basis. There's not going to be just a single key. Here it is. We're in the matrix and as we all search for the guy with the keys. It's not going to work like that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you're going to have to you're going to have to continually train and search and improve and test the systems that that we create. Yes,
1: yes. Well, that that that's a great place to to uh to conclude. I I I want to conclude by uh, saying something that I thought was profound and I heard this from you in a different interview, and, and I'm quoting you here that's saying, this is not hard work, but heart work. And I, I, I that just resonates so much with me, because it focuses on what we all really want to do here, and why most of right. us went into this field in the first place. Thank you, Thank Dr. You. Ron Wyatt, so much for joining Thank me in this thought-provoking discussion. Um, you. You've given me a lot to think about, and I know our listeners, too, about this very broad topic and and again the base of the pyramid and how important that is. Yeah. If people want to reach you uh, or learn more about your work
2: is there a place they can find you a website or your on social media? I'm on LinkedIn and and that's it. And I just want to take time to thank you and your team and and, and the listeners I will say this R- maintain as you already said the hard work but maintain the optimism in telehealth work. And, and I would say and challenge us not to be complacent optimist about this work, but to be impatient optimist in telehealth and telecare. So I really appreciate this time. Like that. Thank you.
1: For listeners who want to learn more about, for listeners who want to learn more about the framework for eliminating disparities, visit our website americantelemed.org. You can find the ATA on Twitter. You can find us on LinkedIn. You can find me Joe Kavita on those platforms. Certainly, we'd love to have. If you enjoyed this episode, take a few minutes to like, rate, review the podcast, and subscribe. If you subscribe, then you don't have to think whether we're inviting a, a critical thinker like Ron Wyatt. You just shows. Up in your your podcast feed, and that's a beautiful thing. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll catch you next episode.
0: Thanks for listening to Health Virtually Uncensored with Dr. Joe Kavidar. To engage with others and learn more about the Eliminating Disparities Framework, go to americantelemed.org.